Let's spread a song so you can sing along with my special guest star two. You like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. everyone, welcome back to another episode of Likes But A Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John, and with me is my bestie who was featured on the Seven Brides for Seven Brothers episode. She also performed in a Zoom reading of the show during quarantine. It's Lauren Gismondi, everyone! Woo! Hi. Hi, Lauren. How are you? <laughs> uh, I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Well, it's high tie, but good. So today we're obviously talking about The Prom, which came out last year. I think this is the most recent movie I've done so far. <laughs> okay, cool. I mean, 2021 has a bunch of movies coming, a bunch of musical movies coming out that I'm excited for. They just don't have a release date yet. <laughs> Whoopsie. Whoopsie. Sorry, pandemic. Whoopsie. Uh, so The Prom like I said, came out last year. Screenplay by Bob Martin and Chad Beguilin. I hope I'm saying his name right. Is that it? I'm pretty sure, yes. Great. Musical book by Chad Beguilin and Bob Martin and Matthew Sklar. Based on the original concept by Jack... Oh, fucking A. <laughs> Viertel. Music by Matthew Sklar, lyrics by Chad Beguilin, directed by the one and only Ryan Murphy. And according to IMDb, a troop of hilariously self-obsessed theater stars swarm into a small conservative Indiana town in support of a high school girl who wants to take her girlfriend to the prom. Oh my God, that was a lot of words. (laughs) It was a lengthy run-on sentence. Uh, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. To start with, though, I've never seen the stage version. Have you seen it? I have not. Okay. (laughs) It was one of those, I think, it was on my list, and then they announced that they were suddenly closing, and I I was probably preoccupied, frankly. 2018 and 2019 were kind of wild years for me work-wise, so my schedule Mm. was all over the place. Yeah, I mean... It was one of those shows that was nominated for six Tonys, one zero. And so the producers were probably like, okay, well, we did almost a year. Let's pack it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think it ran out of steam. I know it was very popular amongst theater people, but I don't know if it hit the masses. Not quite the same way, I think, as we all would hope and that is just what happens sometimes because ultimately it's show business there's the word business in the name mm-hmm. of the type of work that it is so if you can't pay the rent on a theater in new york city then yeah you're not going to be able to have a long lasting run and how do we pay for the rent well it's a combination of the producers and ticket sales and eventually the producers are like well we need our money we need to start making money and seeing that coming in if the ticket sales don't quite line up it's like it's the part of the industry that I love to hate. <laughs> the great thing about this, though, is that Casey Nicola was still part of it, directed and choreographed the stage version, mm-hmm. as well as 
little known shows like Mean Girls and the Book of Mormon. And according to Playbill.com, he's doing a version of Some Like It Hot in 2021, directing and choreographed. He also choreographed for the Trolls movie, the animated Trolls movie. (laughs) That makes sense, though, because you have to think they're going to put all those people in the green suits with the dots on them. (laughs) That makes sense, you know, so that they can like, oh, this is that's intelligent. That's smart. I just looked at his filmography on IMDb and I was like, Trolls? It's amazing. (laughs) Makes me want to watch it again. (laughs) So the movie has all 17 songs in it. Yes, it does. Which is surprising because sometimes they like to hack a song. The only thing I noticed though is that they switched two songs when they happen and I don't think it affected the story at all. Yeah, I don't think so either because I didn't notice (laughs) Yeah, I was, uh, <laughs> like I said, I looked it up on, uh, I didn't see the show, so I had to use Wikipedia as my source, as I always do. In the track listing for Act 2, they have Love Thy Neighbor Happens Before Alyssa Green. So they literally just flip-flop them. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, see, it didn't, yeah, you're right. It doesn't really change much of anything. And it, it doesn't change anything. So in the reading, who did you play? I was Angie. Oh, I loved her. (laughs) I gotta say, though, Angie seemed the one that was the most grounded out of all of them. But, like, we've seen all those tropes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the the, I've been to Julia, I I went to Juilliard kid, who may Mm -hmm. not say I went to Juilliard, but I went to this prestigious school. Exactly. I thought that too. I'm like, oh man, it's like every audition where it's like, well, I went to Carnegie Mellon. Well, I went to NYU. And me personally being in the corner at those auditions going, yeah, I went to a state school and I'm not in debt. <laughs> 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 Joke's on you. <laughs> but it seems like from my understanding of like the basic knowledge of the stage version and this seeing this movie now twice, mm-hmm. it seems like they stay true. Like there's nothing that they added or subtracted even in the story-wise? No, there are some things that are not, that are in, that are very present in the movie that are not present in the show. Like other storylines, I was like, these characters aren't in the show. We're just going to throw, whatever. Okay, fine. Can I make an assumption and can you tell me if I'm wrong? Please. Barry's mom. Is she not in the stage version? That's not a thing. We don't find out um, about Emma's family, who she's staying with situation. Like there's no Emma's grandma. Oh. And the other thing that I found extraordinary was that Carrie Washington's character, uh, Mrs. Green, does not immediately resolve with her daughter like that at the end of the show. No, because they were going for the hyper unrealistic happy ending and it's not to say that her daughter like there is a full-on rejection but she's like you know i need time we can talk about this later and that's when she just i i don't remember if she leaves or not leaves the prom but i don't think if she's there she's only in the background for it's time to dance yeah it even got to the point where i've watched their tony performance Mm -hmm. uh where they do tonight belongs to you And even the dance break is the same from the stage version. (laughs) I was just like, okay. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. I loved it. 
But I was just like, you're in a film. You could have done a little more. I guess, but also it's the idea too that if it's not broke, don't fix it. True. Like that was really strong. I I didn't hate any of that choreography. I thought it was super cute and it totally worked. And, you know, we're dancing through them all. (laughs) You know what? I didn't hate any of the choreography in any of, in uh, in this whole movie. Mm -hmm. Daz was very fascinating. And I don't know if Casey Nicola has a strong Fosse background, but it was very entertaining to watch at least. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you've got, uh, what was the other one? The one in the mall, the other mall song, Love Thy Neighbor, where that was fun, even though the Godspell kids randomly show up with tambourines. <laughs> yeah, that, when does that, what happens there? The, there? If I'm remembering correctly, there isn't a mall in the stage production. Oh, like I, I 100% believe that. <laughs> like, Love Thy Neighbor happens outside of almost like a 7-Eleven type place in the parking lot. Yeah, that makes more sense. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching it and I'm like, this is, I've never, I've only been to Indiana once and I'm not sure that any of this is realistic, but I could be lying. I recognize the fact that I don't know. Indiana could have a mall that has a fountain in it, but like, who knows? Not us. We don't know. I I don't know anything. <laughs> um, and that's why we podcast. Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> so let's talk about proms real quick in oh um, in in history. I did a little research because I was intrigued by. It, I know it's a hot button topic, and it has been for twenty years, really. If you go back, let's go in our time machine back to two thousand one. There is okay. a queerest folk episode, see, the season one finale, called "Full Circle," where Justin goes to prom with Brian, the older man that he has a relationship with, and they are met with the gay bashing afterwards. Now, I vaguely remember that. That was very loosely based on a real prom event where two boys went to prom together. But I guess the internet decided to call uh, articles from 2001 like like it's an iPhone update because I couldn't find anything about it. Interesting. I, yeah, I have no idea. And then we jump ahead nine years to Constance McMillan, which is what this show is actually based off of she went to the i'm gonna mispronounce this name and i'm so sorry itawamba county agricultural high school in itawamba county mississippi and they literally copied her story because the the prom was canceled then there was going to be a prom that she was told to go to but then there was a second prom held unfortunately there were no dance breaks in her story but she did go on ellen and get money and, Which I guess is just as good as a dance break, right? And it, and celebrities, more than just for Broadway folk, um, <laughs> rallied and fundraised and threw a prom for her and her girlfriend. And I think it was for anyone, really, who wanted to go. Then you go to 2013, there's Sullivan High School in Indiana, who tried to ban same-sex couples from going to prom, and they've cited religious reasons for that. Mm. So yeah. I can kind of see where they were, where the writers of the prom were influenced by those two stories. And then we jump to 2019, 
This is two years ago. There was a, a story book, Pride Prom, for LGBT kids uh, in Jacksonville, Florida. It was canceled after the library that was hosting it uh, got complaints from conservatives online. But then the Buckman Bridge Unitarian Universalist Church saved the day and hosted yay, the prom. Yay, news! <laughs> so... I, I'm just, I'm, I'm baffled because seeing this movie felt dated. The story felt dated. And then I read in 2019, the shit is still happening. I'm like, guys. Yeah, it's actually still relevant. And the other thing that's worth remembering too is that they took nine years to get to Broadway from when they started writing and doing workshops and over and over it took them nine years i didn't know that i Ah, I yes the the wikipedia was a little light on the development all it said that they had an out-of-town tryout in atlanta in 2016 that is true um but i also spoke to beth level when we were doing the reading and she yes i know my degrees of separation are getting smaller Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but she had said that you know they they started working on it nine years before it made it to Broadway. And I, as somebody who does musicals in development, completely understand what that feels like, where it's years and years of, is this going to work? Is this going to go anywhere? I really believe in it, but do other people? And uh, on, on so it's, it's not Smash, you're saying? No. It doesn't happen in a week and a half? Not typically, no. <laughs> There's usually way more involved in that. Way more. <laughs> What else did Beth say? Like any other tidbits of information? I'm not sure exactly how much I'm allowed to repeat. um, Because of course, you know, there's an interesting conversation about New York actors who have originated these roles, especially something like this, where the four of them who were in the leads um, were attached to the show from jump, not necessarily being asked to do the Netflix production. So there's also a very interesting and rather complicated issue of (laughs) what happens when you take something like that and you give it to a bunch of new actors. Mm -hmm. So that's where there's an interesting conversation to also be had as well that she brought up. Well, she didn't bring it up. Somebody else in our reading brought it up like, oh, it's just so sad that you didn't get to do it. And yeah, da, da, da. And she was really honest and she's like, if you're going to hand over a character that you helped create and helped build from the ground up, who better to hand it over to than Meryl Streep? That's true. Because didn't they all have a, a hand in like theirs, each storylines? Like the woman who originated Angie, she was in Chicago for like yep. 12 years in the yes. chorus. All of those characters are very much intrinsically tied to the actors who originated them to the point where they were asking them, what are your notes? Like, in other words, what note sounds is your money note? And, you know, she was able to say C sharp, which not about me absolutely lives up there. This is not about me. Uh... Like it lives right there for her. And they, so basically, I mean, that's like the most beautiful aspect of the whole thing is that the actors were very much involved with the creative process of helping develop these characters and fill out the story in other ways as well. So you brought up Miss Meryl. I did. So Meryl Streep is, in my opinion, styled to look like Patti LuPone. Shouldn't they have just given it to her? (laughs) 
Possibly, but I'm not here to make that judgment call, you know? I mean, Ryan Murphy likes to work with his pool of actors. So it was very interesting that all of these people, I don't think were in any of his other properties. Andrew Rannells, I think, popped up in uh, Scream Queens. And Book of Mormon. No, I mean like... Oh, that's Casey Nicola, sorry. That's Casey Nicola. But like, none of them were in any of his former properties. So that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. But like to have all these stars, it, it felt a little too much. I mean, you got um, you got James Corden and Meryl Streep. This is what their third movie together. Second, I guess so, right? Well, they did Into you, the Woods. Yeah, and I think yeah, this is their second movie. Mm-hmm. This is Nicole Kidman's second musical movie. Yes, that's true. Where it, okay. Bringing up It's Not About Me as well. You have Nicole Kidman playing the dancer character, right? And then in the dance break of It's Not About Me, you have her on the sidelines? <laughs> yeah. I'm not really sure how much of a dancer Nicole Kidman actually is in her, like, regular life. Right. I, mean, she, she, I think she's more of a mover. Like, she, I wouldn't call her, like, a ballerina. By right, any right, right, right. But like when during Zaz, she could move. She realistically seemed like she was comfortable with the moves and she it wasn't like her doing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh like, see, I don't I didn't feel that way, but all right. Oh really? It's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, because when you're doing such a highly stylized dance as is seen in all of the Fosse musicals. It's about making what is what looks extremely unnatural seem completely effortless. And I really felt that it wasn't as effortless as if they had called in somebody like Karen Ziemba or like really any of the women who've done Chicago in the last like 20 years. Karen Ziemba is my first choice just because she was Roxy Hart some time ago. So that's why I was like, give it to Karen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he can still dance. God damn it. Let's go. Hell, bring in BB Newworth. <laughs> that would have been fun. That would have been a lot of fun. That but would yeah, have also so just paid homage because, you know, she she was in it for how, however many years and she like went away, came back, went away. So let's see. What else is there to talk about? I just love the Godspell kids and they call them the Godspell kids. That's what they are. Yes. <laughs> Because it's so good. <laughs> Come on, Godspell kids, join me in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I noticed that there were some like lyric changes in some of the, most particularly in um, Changing Lives with the reprise or reprise, however you prefer to say it, that they made it, they made it quite uh, a bit more PC. Yeah, <laughs> they, they still stereotyped. Yes. They still were, but I, I guess you can say that they toned it down a little bit. <laughs> In the stage version, though, uh, is Trent supposed to be gay or is he just like whatever? It's never specified one way or the other. Because Barry is the only one that's specified. Yes. He's the okay. one who's very, who's the most, he's the, uh, how do you say, he's the most open about it. Right. Because it felt like. Angie Reynolds was putting on a straight voice while fucking <laughs> James Corden was doing a goddamn gay voice. And I was just like, no, honey, no. 
a part of me wasn't sure if he was doing that or if he was just really bad. His American accent was not good. Like that is where I was sort of like, it could be one or the other, maybe both. Maybe and that's both. why. Yeah. Maybe. Cause I, I, I read so many friends who were like, Oh no, he's doing this. He's doing that. And there's always a part of my brain. That's like, you never know what the director asked for. Like we're just watching right. the end product. You have no idea what was that, what was being discussed before they filmed it. And also, I yeah, I go back to like his American. I mostly found the American accent to be a little not totally real. He didn't sustain it either, because in some mm-hmm. scenes the lisp is not over present as it is in the other scenes. Yeah, and it's There's like a consistency. Yeah, but then speaking of accents, you've got Nicole Kidman. Who, my God, <laughs> what? the fuck <laughs> i don't know i mean it's one thing if they're all from different places so that they're naturally their accents are going to be a little bit different i mean they could have been like she's an aussie actress in new york he could have been a british actor exactly they could have just been themselves right in that regard instead of trying to potentially make something work that didn't that didn't want to go there it's just it's so weird and then tracy Elman shows up and i'm just like Oh, an American accent. Oh, bless. <laughs> a realistic one. <laughs> She's there for her for her six lines of glory, yeah. I, yeah, and she <laughs> she's part of the roster at the end <laughs> during the what I called the curtain call. <laughs> yes, I mean it was. It was a curtain call. <laughs> With the senior superlatives. <laughs> I thought that was cute. I didn't hate that. Yeah, so they they didn't take away any songs like no. some movie versions do. They actually added songs. Granted, it was at the end. Yeah, but that's for, you know, for your consideration, all of the Oscars. Right. So Wear Your Crown uh, was written by Matthew Sklar, mm-hmm. Chad Beguilin, and then there's Adam Anders and Pierre Astrum. I don't know who those were. And then Sim- Simply Love which I think was written by the original trio, the original writers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one was performed by James Corden himself. Yes. Barry song. But where Barry gets cr- another song. But Where Your Crown has Meryl Streep rapping and I'm here for it. <laughs> I am so here for it. So when I first saw the trailer of this, not going to lie, I, I heard James Corden's lisp. And there's other things going on. And I was going into it expecting to hate it because of those factors. And then obviously I don't like them. But then, you know, we get to Barry's going to prom. And when he's in the flashback or well, when he's with his younger self, I am bawling my eyes out and then you follow that with fucking unruly heart how rude guys but (laughs) thank you for making me cry because it's been so cathartic (laughs) yeah yeah I think you know so many people write off shows like this as being it's fluffy there's no real substance it doesn't require real thought and that has elements of truth to it it's not like we're going to go see next to normal. 
or uh, Dear Evan Hansen. Exactly. I said, but the thing is, is that I still believe people crave this kind of storytelling where we recognize like this, the aspects about it that are silly and, you know, they're like, what are we doing? This, not, this could never possibly happen. And then also to have so much at its absolute core, real heart and truthful storytelling. Right. Because honestly, that's what I want from a movie, from any story, really. I I want that. They kind of do a weird thing in this movie where they start off too much in the fantasy and then they pull back a little bit when at least Dee Dee, Meryl Streep, is like breaking down her exterior to like be a better human and then they uh, in the movie they end again in the fantasy Mm -hmm. but in a different uh, like a more positive one exactly and also i have to say keegan michael key has had a hell of a year in 2020 oh my god i fucking love him I the scene in Applebee's between him and Meryl Streep <laughs> at the beginning of the movie is hands down my favorite scene in the entire movie and musical yeah, because it's just so sweet and so poignant and you start to kind of see the potential that Dee Dee has to not be a complete jerk. And he was in this and in Jingle Jangle, which came out around like weeks, if not a month afterwards. And boy can sing. Like, (laughs) oh boy. I wish though that he had, I mean, I know it's how it's written, but like, I wish Angie had another song just to like even everyone out. And then he had another song. It would have been nice because especially playing Angie, Angie is the is the one who I think really initially gets Emma and isn't trying to really, because her ego's not at stake in the game. And neither right. is, um, is, the, is Hawkins, for that matter. Their egos aren't, at, aren't in play. So they're able to really take that part of themselves away and just be like, okay, how can I best use my talents and skills to help get you what you need? Mm-hmm. So really, as far as I'm concerned, they're the most selfless people in the whole show. And the now, others eventually come along, but they start there. Uh, did they cut down the acceptance song or is that how it's supposed to be? I believe it goes on for a little bit longer. I think there's another minute, maybe minute and a half, but okay. I really love that they cut it. Because <laughs> it was like, and now it's Meryl Streep's entrance and you don't mm-hmm. see her sing. So yeah, part so, of me was yeah. like, are we yeah. missing something here? We <laughs> are. So both um, Dee Dee and Barry come on and do little solo bits while everybody around them is, you know, the audience um, at this monster truck rally are like, what is this? <laughs> what kind of halftime show is this, you guys? What is this? It's interesting that it's more their story. And like, even on the surface, it's their story. Like the layers of how it's Dee Dee and Barry's story. And like, they use Emma in multiple ways. It's so fascinating. I wish I saw it. (laughs) I wish I saw it on stage. Mm -hmm. But I know the first time I saw the movie, when Tonight Belongs to You happens, you know, I'm into it and everything. And then when she pulls up, oh, I think I cried. That was the first time I cried when I first watched it. Because I was just like, oh, heartbreaking. Yep. Looking around, you don't see any cars. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Spoiler alert! (laughs) Spoiler. Well... 
Hopefully you've seen this movie. <laughs> if not, oopsie daisy. You've mm-hmm. you've gone too far in this episode right away. Yes. <laughs> I also liked how they used um lighting and costuming to enhance the story and enhance who was feeling what and when. Oh yeah, they that that's like theater production 101 right there. Yes. <laughs> yep. I but did, in case other people didn't know that, it's important to point it out. I love her room, by the way. It's Emma's huge. Room. It's huge. That house is massive. All those Must- houses are massive. And it's probably like $3 in mortgage over there in Indiana. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? But like the, this, the production design on her room, it was like nicely detailed. There was mm-hmm. enough gayness and happiness going on that uh, even if the grandmother wasn't in this movie, I would understand everything just from that room. Right. And the bed moving, like that was a, that was a good fantasy moment. Like that was the, I think that was the first time we were going back into the fantasy was during um, Ruly Heart, unfortunately, (laughs) because it's such an emotional song. And if I cry, just let it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really nice to see those teens and they quickly tell their story and everything. But what I don't understand <laughs> is at the end, when they come into the prom for It's Time to Dance, everyone who helped put it together looks shocked at what it actually looks like. You know what I mean? They all walk in, they're like, wow, so this is what we worked on. Ooh. i mean i i guess you could say it you know you can suspend your disbelief for a hot minute if you want but you're right they shouldn't have been as surprised i think it would have been more important for you know emma and Alyssa to be surprised than right yes yes okay i've got some i've got some questions for you okay that i want to ask if you were Emma, would you have forgiven Alyssa so fast? No. And in the musical, it does take a little bit more time. So that there's that too. Yeah. Cause it's like that, that whole wrap up at the end, I'm just like, all right, I get it. You're on a time crunch right now. Net- Netflix gave you two hours and you're almost there. So <laughs> chop, chop. It's true. It's true. And the musical is probably like 215, 220, uh, top to bottom. But even then, like, it's made more clear that they're breaking up in the musical. Like Alyssa asks, are we breaking up? And Emma says, yeah, yeah, we are. And it's more definitive when that happens after Alyssa Green. During Alyssa Green, thereabouts. Thereabouts. Now, on a personal note, do you remember your prom? (laughs) Which one? You went to multiple proms? Well, I went, we had junior and senior prom. Oh, so yes, I went to, technically I went to two. Your senior prom. Yes, I do remember my senior prom. <laughs> so I don't know if we've talked about this on the last episode, but Lauren and I went to middle school together. Yep. And I'm, I am a, a, a year older, a grade older than her. Mm-hmm. So I went to not only my prom, but I was asked by a friend to go to your prom. Oh, yes, that's right. A, mut- a mutual friend. And it was fascinating because at my prom, I went 
with a girl. And by that point, I was out and everything. And when they announced prom king and queen, the table kind of joked that I was prom queen. Not in a malicious way, though. They were just like, and the prom queen is John Riley. So I was just like, (laughs) okay. Because our high school, I'm realizing after watching all these things, were very liberal compared. Oh, yes. I mean, I used to refer to Newfield, and now this is dated. I'm going to get in trouble for it. But I used to refer to Newfield as my teenage years as homo high. Because my mother thought, my, I was only almost, my male friends are almost exclusively queer identifying, even then. So my mother was like, what, what is, what, I don't, I'm like, I don't know, but they're really cool. And she loves all of them. So it, it's, it, but yeah, we were rather outliers, I think, compared to a lot of other situations. And not just in New York State, but probably everywhere. Well, um, I did also look up, there was in Texas a LGBT plus school from like 99 to 2004. Mm-hmm. So, and it was like a safe haven for all those, for all those people oh, yeah. and allies too. Of course, that makes sense. So what were you going to ask me about prom? So at your prom, I remember that there were two boys that went together. Was there any backlash over that? No, not to my memory. Like, here's what's interesting. Um, And I'll be really fair. I think my brain has edited certain things out just over time. It's like, I think (laughs) because nobody made a real stink about it, it probably happened and I thought it was normal and therefore there was nothing. And I think they might've been two friends of mine. They were. It was. I'm not crazy. It was. Right? I'm not. Okay. I, I don't want to name names, but you know who I'm talking about. I now know who we're talking about. Okay. No, no. It wasn't like, it was never really like that. And I think it's because we were always, especially coming from a, the background of being in the arts and things like that. We were always, we were always respected each other, regardless of like, you know, who was doing what, when, where, and why. Like, it was like, oh no, you're cool. I'm cool. We can all hang out. And there's not, I never really felt like there were a lot of the issues that are sometimes depicted in high school movies like this or in Glee or yes. in other things that are set yes. around the time you were in high school. Yes. I mean, I know this is sounding kind of like white privilege and all that, but we were very um, privileged for lack of a better term to have a very accepting school. I look back on it and I don't remember being bullied once for being gay, like even from other social groups. Mm-hmm. So movie, yeah. watching movies like this, I'm always, I'm always, my gut reaction is just like, this is dated, but then, you know, you have to read about it and I have mm. to introspectively look back and be like, oh, we were very liberal. Yeah. For a public school on Long Island, you know? It, In the early 2000s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would say so. I, I think also because there was such a strong foundation in the arts where we went to high school, that also lends itself to just everybody having empathy and learning empathy mm-hmm. because of, you know, that's that's what that kind of strong programming in the public education system really helps foster. Yeah, we so, started on what's happened in the last decade, but so, <laughs> separate conversation. So women like Mrs. Mm-hmm. Green 
She may have existed in our high school, but like it wasn't that loud of a person. I'm sure exactly. I'm sure that there, I believe that they existed. Did I ever have any personal interaction with anybody like that? Not really, no. No. No, no. I I think if it had happened, I think there would have been a very strong uproar from the student body. If they were to say back in 2007, excuse me, I'm dating myself. Um, (laughs) But back in 2007, I think if somebody had come up and, you know, while we were selling prom tickets and figuring out who was going to go with who and whatever, it was a bigger problem than if you were bringing somebody from outside of the middle country system, outside of the district. Because right. I had to fill out a bunch of po- a bunch of paperwork because my date was not from Newfield or Center Age from those oh. two high schools. Yes, I didn't realize I didn't realize that there was there was paperwork for that. There is. You have to basically like this is where this person you know they come from. How do you know each other? Blah 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 blah. And I also like what I was originally going to say is that I do believe there would have been an uproar if they had said, sorry, no same-sex couples, no queer identifying couples. I think the drama department alone would have staged like a baby coup in, out of the side of the auditorium. Or if it was my junior prom, we would have been staging a coup in the gym. Like, Yeah, yeah. So, and I'm also re- trying to remember the PTA had nothing to do with our prom right uh no not really but also prom where we grew up didn't happen at the school it was at um a really really nice venue out east on the island well they had less to do with it i think mine was at a different venue so it depends on the prom committee Mm -hmm. that is overseen by a teacher obviously so you have an adult present Mm -hmm. it's not the pta but it's a it is a teacher, like I said, and they pick a venue. We have to raise money and like we did it ourselves. So yeah. Yeah. Schools be like our high school, the way it was in 2000. You know, it was a wild party. And honestly, the things I remember most about my senior prom were all the things that looking back, I was like, Oh God. Oh, Oh, that happened. Oh yeah. Like I remember one of my friend's mom's trying to get in the limo with us there were some parents who didn't want to let their children go and like me being you know sitting you know in the corner just like watching all of that unfold so there's stuff like that where you're like oh no what is happening but as far as anything being like political i mean as i said earlier i'm like i don't remember if it caused a problem which means it probably didn't is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into the my segments at the end sometimes theater people are just very misguided it's true and sometimes people are misguided yes i feel like at least angie's character had the best intentions at heart trent i don't know much about him that's the thing trent is just there (laughs) he went to juilliard trent is just there along for the ride actually no trent is the reason they're able to get there in the first place Right, yes, but like I don't know, like really much about him. Well, we kind of do, but it's not enough. You find out he's real verbose, and he actually would be a decent teacher because he's so good at communicating and to others ideas in a way that they can easily grasp and understand them. So there is that. There is that, and he yeah. also 
I think the musical goes a little bit more in depth with that, but not too, too much more because in the musical, it really is Dee Dee and Barry's story more than anybody else's. Ooh. Emma's too, but it's like Dee Dee, Barry, Emma. Emma, everyone else. <laughs> Everybody else. All right, let's get into Sharp and Flat then. Woohoo! <laughs> Jesus Christ, Lori. Sharp Flat. So in this section of Sharp and Flat, as usual, we like to we're gonna highlight some moments. If we liked them, they're sharp. And if we didn't like them, they're flat. Wah, wah. What are your sharps for this movie? Uh the body diversity in the ensemble. Yes, because there's that one shot during It's Time to Dance where there was a plus size woman down front. <laughs> down front. And I was just like, yes. Yes, yes. Do I wish that there were other like actual plus size female actors who had lines? Yes, but that's my own personal baggage at work. So that's separate. So I thought I really love that. Um, oh, what else did I love? Oh, this was an inappropriate moment that I loved, but I feel the need to share it, which is there's a cutaway shot to Nicole Kidman's face after Alyssa Green and Mrs. Green are talking and she says, it's already hard. And it's like this, the moment leading up to it is just so fraught with emotion. And then you just see Nicole Kidman like, like Macaulay Culkin in um, Home Alone. Yes, in Home Alone. And I was like, the moment's gone. So I loved it for being inappropriate. (laughs) An inappropriate cutaway. Yes. Um, And I still stand uh, by the Applebee's scene between Keegan-Michael Key and Meryl Streep. That was really lovely. And also, you know, really what I loved, and I'm going to summarize it better this way, is there is a decent amount of really strong scene work for such a little musical with all this heart. Mm-hmm. Like, like I wasn't the, mad at any of the, most of the acting choices. At I all. loved most of it. There's 17 songs and mm-hmm. it's like a two hour movie. So yes. there's a good chunk where it's scene work. Yes. And it's still riveting. It's not yes. boring stuff. Yes. Do you have any other sharps? You know, I love the magic. This is a, a sharp flat. Okay. Um, if, is, it cannot be a thing. Is that a thing? We'll call it a neutral. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, neutral. Fine. We're hitting <laughs> mid pitch. Um, how lifelong problems can be resolved in less than one day. Of course. Yes. Yeah. That's why I'm like, I love it, but I also hate it. So... And it's neutral middle, midway. <laughs> that's me how about you oh thank you for asking you're welcome usually i have to steamroll the guests to tell you what my opinions are <laughs> so angie i loved her i love her storyline i don't know if this was how she's written or how nicole kidman played it but everything felt very honest even the moments leading up to zaz where she's just like barry i got this you know like or like girl t- we're gonna have girl talk you know and i was just like yes um hopefully joe ellen pellman uh took some notes on acting because <laughs> i'm not knocking her i'm just saying you know in the future when she's has more of a career you know just be like oh yeah nicole kidman did did do that <laughs> yeah and honestly it is written as such oh good 
as somebody who did who played the part it's written that she is the most honest and she's also i think the only one who openly swears in front of emma at least Good. not in obviously not in this no movie, this one but in yeah. the musical she she she's got some f-bombs and she's always there with um a drink in her hand so she's Every a broad scene. exactly she's like an old she's she's exactly that. she's an old show pony <laughs> Um, I love her I, for it. Go on. I'm sorry. I love the choreography. Um, so thank you, K- Casey Nicola, for coming back and doing it. Mm-hmm. Really loved Keegan Michael Key, and I did love Joe Ellen Pellman. I mean, She's so cute. She was the only one that was really unknown because this is her being introduced to the world. So I hope she has a career. I don't. Ma- I want to see her in more musicals, both stage and movie maybe her own musical show whatever you know like uh as zoe's extraordinary playlist or something like that oh yeah oh my god could you imagine if she shows up on that show like she might if not this season maybe season three three, yeah or retroactively come in season one who knows (laughs) um i don't have any neutrals because i didn't even think about that what are your flats there are there's a few uh, <laughs> James Corden's accent voice work whatever uh-huh. it is you want to call it because he can sing and he can act we know that and I think what was interesting is that James Corden is naturally flamboyant yes like as a, him as a person like you watch sidewalk musical or crosswalk musical I should say um or any of his stuff that he's done on stage in either the West End or in New York he's naturally already just over the top and silly and ridiculous and we love him for it and to see it kind of in a way almost be forced i didn't necessarily enjoy as much right come on james i I feel like you kind of see james corden as james corden in tonight belongs to you when they're in the mall yes okay i'll give him that but that's what i'm saying like there there are Mm -hmm. glimpses of James Corden, but he's negatively doing things throughout the rest of the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what else did I find not fantastic? I didn't hate it as much as I thought I was going to, you know, possibly dislike this movie being a kind of attached to the musical in some ways. You know, all the changes that I thought they made, nothing really like perturbed me. I know that there is a very long conversation that's going to happen in the future about make, I mean, trying to cast queer actors in queer roles and that kind of stuff. But that is all because I'm on the outside of that conversation. I don't feel like I can actively say anything about it without sounding like a jerk. I can give my two cents, although Please I'm not an give, actor. Throw your money and then I'll give me, I, or should I give my one last um, flat? Well since, well, since we're on this topic... Please. <laughs> well, I'll give you my two cents. Please. I feel like whoever deserves the part should get the part. I don't think it has to be only a queer person. Let's pretend I'm an actor, right? Okay. And it's between James Corden and myself because we're of similar builds. And the role is for a gay man. Now, if I'm right for the part, I hope I get it. But if James Corden, like, outacts me or outperforms he should get it right am i am i wrong in saying that a part of me agrees with you and the other part of me is like logistics so 
that's that's i guess where this becomes interesting is because i'm so deeply infiltrated in different ways of thinking about this you know it was you know it's this meeting of this intersectionality of like you know do we want to get a plus size actor or is it more important to have somebody who is of the lgbtqia plus community and like I, I sat in, on Facebook and doom scrolled as I watched people fight over <laughs> this exact thing. And the pro, I, I don't have an answer. And also because I'm not casting, I really don't have an answer. Well, I would fight for trans actors playing trans roles. Right. Because that is, that. that is part of their storyline. They can bring something that unfortunately us cisgender folk cannot. So that is one that I will actively fight for mm-hmm. whoever whomever the character sleeps with is whomever the character sleeps with i don't yeah. think that should have any effect on who the person is playing that for the longest time people didn't know if eric mccormick was straight well i mean he he eventually came out as straight but he played fucking uh will on will and grace for however many years at this point yeah and he's not terrible. I mean, like, that's a that's an extreme reason. I could bring up the actors of Queer as Folk as well, where they played gay. Uh, there was a lot of straight actors playing gay, and they had to do sex scenes that they may have been uncomfortable with, but it's a job. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I just also know that this sort of conversation provokes and triggers some people. So that's why it's... I want to mention it without getting into it too deep, which probably isn't the best way to go, but here I am. So I did it. You you didn't say anything about anything. I'm the one. Come at me. (laughs) I mean, you could come at me too. I don't really, like, whatever. It's a pandemic. The rules don't apply anymore, apparently. Um, And what's your last flat? It's my last flat. Um, Kevin Chamberlain, who I adore, oh my God. wish could have got, like, they knew they were going to have him. Why wouldn't they, if they're going to add a song it, or something for Sheldon, I that was my one problem. Because Kevin can really sing. I mean, um, dude is a tenor and he's incredible. I don't know what happened, but for whatever reason, during It's Time to Dance, he wasn't, he like ran and then, like, was on the sideline just standing still. I'm just like, does he not dance? Is he, can he not, like, bop or something? Like, he doesn't have to do the choreography. Just, like, wave your hands in the air or something. Right, right. No, he can, he's a mover. He can do all that. Um, okay, so I agree with you on James Corden's gay voice. I <laughs> did not like it. It was not needed. Um, he, I, agree he is a flamboyant individual who should have just maybe like up the flamboyancy of it so that it's of the fantastical since that's what they did with the rest of the movie um i did not like nicole kimmon's new york accent it was 100% fake in my opinion in my opinion i didn't um, even know it was supposed to be a new york accent so there you go you could tell she was definitely going for that I'm a broad, I'm New York accent. I didn't like that Emma forgives Alyssa. I've seen other representation of characters like Alyssa and she would not have easily come out like that. But again, it's a fantasy, so whatever. And then come at me for this. I did not like the finale costumes. 
personally. Okay. Um, I just, it was too, too much sparkle in my opinion. I mean, but the whole thing was sparkle. The whole the thing, opening yeah. and the ending were just glitter sequins. What kind of all the uplighting of all those pretty cool colors? <laughs> and that is from costume designer Lou Eirich, who has worked is like Ryan Murphy's go-to designer. Mm. Oh, she she started with him back in popular days, the the TV show Popular, and she's worked on uh, at least chunks of uh, seasons of uh, his other works. May not be like the resident costume designer, but did like three seasons here and there. Right. Okay. What songs would you add to your life's playlist from this, per- from the movie, not from the stage show? Well, that's not fair because it's the same music except for the two at the end. <laughs> right. But I mean, you know, you have to base it off of how they produced the music for this one because it does sound differently because obviously it's a movie. They have more to play with guess i don't know it's decided almost the same to me um <laughs> zaz that yeah yeah i mean that's in my audition book now good <laughs> so it is actually in fact in my life even if i will never be cast as angie in real world because i'm you know five five and pudgy <laughs> not a not a, i am a more i'm a mama more in in the real world I, it's just she's the my favorite character so yeah that's that's the one i want to add just Zaz? Just Zaz. Okay. I wrote Tonight Belongs to You. I know it's overly produced, but I love it. I don't know why. Um, Barry's Going to Prom and Unruly Heart, I put on there because I had the emotional responses. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Barry's Going to Prom lyrically is beautiful. And yeah. I know I've probably said something similar to that outside. <laughs> I didn't sing it. I said it. <laughs> things similar to that besides angie what character would you want to play if you were in a production of this you can play any character anybody anybody oh my god you could be trent for all i care (laughs) don't knock trent trent has some cute stuff going on with him it's um oh goodness and trent honestly has some of the most has some of the funniest dialogue in the whole the whole thing I mean, obviously, Dee Dee. Yep, I could see you. I see you. I see you singing um, The Ladies Improving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be obviously Dee Dee. And if I couldn't be Dee Dee and I had to pick, it was like real fantasy, truest of fantasies. I think I would want to play. I mean, I'm torn between Trent and Alyssa Green. Really? Yeah. See, if we were going full fantasy any role, I'd put you as Barry. That could be fun, too. Because <laughs> he's the fairy godmother character. And knowing you for years, um, I could see you being that motivational and that like, okay, this is a dress. This is Spanx. This is how you put makeup on. This is this. Mm-hmm. This is that. That's more what I relate for you. Oh, interesting. How about you? Oh, me? Oh, no one's asked me this question. Anyone? Anyone. Sure, yeah. Listen, it is open season, baby. You go for it. Part of me would go for Emma for Unruly Heart. Mm-hmm. I would also, I would fight you for Barry. <laughs> Aw, thank you? <laughs> with a question mark? Well, I mean, if it's down to the two of us, 
and it's truly blinding cat blinded casting obviously you're gonna get it but like i would i would go down fighting <laughs> good for you yes i would ha- want it to no other way so lauren we're at the end is there we anything are? you want to yeah we did it we talked oh, about wow. it wow would you is there anything you want to plug or promote or anything we are writing um another dmt hocus pocus parody right now um, to be released this spring um all about a dating show gone horribly awry featuring your favorite sisters from a cult classic movie that was made and disney owns it but i can't say the title because i'll get in trouble (laughs) um so we're doing that and then yeah if you want to find me i am uh at L-A-G-I-Z-Z underscore S-A-N-G-S. That's Lodges underscore Sangs. And then DMT, it's Dead Man Toes Productions on YouTube. Yep. Do they have um, any social media as well that maybe people could follow? They do. They do. It's at DMT Prods, P-R-O-D-S on Instagram. Okay um if you guys so if you guys want to fight me for anything i've said of this episode i said a lot of possibly controversial things so you can at me uh by emailing me at buttasongpod at gmail.com or write on my facebook twitter instagram which is at buttasongpod um tell me what you thought of the prom if you saw it or tell me about your prom um, yeah. If, you, if you're a let's reminisce about parties and people and being close to each other and being sweaty and dancing. <gasps> if, <laughs> if you're a, if you're a queer person or any type of person really, if you're unless or an alien, I don't care. Tell me what your experiences were at prom. And on the next episode, we're going to be talking about the famous musical episode of TV ever, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Once more with feeling. So come on by next episode. And yeah, so Lauren, let's um waltz out of here, out of this episode. Okay. Da da goodbye. <laughs> down up up, down up, up, down up, up. Uh, uh. All the years of ballroom training at work. <laughs> bye. Basha, bye-bye. Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day. <laughs>